0: Jane Brown.
1: Libby returns tomorrow. It is three days until the Ontario election and our last chat with the Zoomer squad before voting day. So we want to know which of the four main party leaders is reflecting the CARP 5 election issues important to older voters. And we want to hear from you as well. Who are you voting for or who did you vote for in advance polling and why? And as a reminder, the CARP 5 are... Thank you. The cat fund better home care, transform long-term care, drastically cut wait times, make vaccines more accessible, and fund fitness for seniors. Joining Fight Back as they do every Monday, Peter Mugrich, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz, CARP's Chief Membership Officer and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. They are on the phone and joining me in studio, filling in for Bill Van Gorder and Anthony Quinn, CARP's Ontario election lead. Hello, squad.
2: Hi, Jane. Hi, 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 everyone.
1: David, I'll start with you. And I I just want to review uh, for our new listeners why these are the top five election issues.
2: Well, I think that out of all of the um, issues that exist in a busy, complex province like this one, uh, we focused in on these because we actually think that healthcare in Ontario is an emergency. It's in a crisis. It's not just a topic uh, that is relevant to seniors, although of course it is. It's a topic, you know, that requires almost fire alarm <laughs> level of attention because it's so bad and COVID really exposed how creaky and disorganized and inadequate the system is. So, by putting all our muscle against this topic, we want to serve notice to all the politicians of all the parties that um, this is something we're not going to be letting go of after Thursday.
1: Anthony, how effective has this campaign been? It seems to be uh, it seems to be very visible.
3: Yeah, Jane, with the, with your help and all of the uh, the channels we have through Zoomer Media, but also along with our chapters right across the province of Ontario and other media, we've been able to generate. I think this topic has become one of the top issues at the doors of Ontarians, and and we're very proud that the CARP 5 has resonated. We're in competition with a number of other very important issues, including affordability, uh, the The PCs are talking about highways and trying to get attention on that. But the health care issues and the top issues for CARP members, uh, I think they've been part of the discussion, and we're very glad to see that.
1: Let's start by talking about Stephen Del Duca, since the Liberal leader visited us here at the Zoomerplex on Saturday during doors open. Peter, how effectively is Stephen Del Duca reflecting the CARP 5?
4: Well, he uh, he nailed his... um his vox Box, uh, moment. I, I thought he did really well on that, and uh, you know he's he's he doesn't really come across as um, you know he, he seems to, he doesn't really come across you know as having leadership chops. And I thought his visit here, he sort of established himself as yeah, I'm the man in charge of the Liberal Party. I this you know I, I have the plan. You know, speak to me and things will happen. And and. That was important. I think that's what he wanted to establish, uh, mostly from that visit, was that, you know, uh, seniors' issues are important, and he, uh, you know, he's a leader. He wants to become more of a prominent leader, and by, you know, visiting us, doing the Vox Box, doing the interview with Anthony and David, you know, touring the building, he, he sort of, uh, he, you know, he sort of gave off a leadership vibe, if I can say that, and uh, so so in that in that respect, um, I, I, I think it was quite important for him, that, uh, the Saturday morning visit.
1: Right. Well, among the four of us, uh, we were all talking to him at different points on a Saturday. And, and by the way, the Vox box is the new speaker's corner here at the Zoomerplex at Jefferson and Liberty in Liberty Village. Just a couple minute walk from the King Street car. And for a loony, you can have your say for two minutes on the Vox box. You don't have to be the leader of
4: a, a provincial party. <laughs> But he nailed it, didn't he? I he thought did. He, he just did it all in one take. It was very good.
1: It was. He was yeah. a one-take wonder. Anthony, yeah. what was your impression of
3: Stephen Del Duke on Saturday? He was very well-versed in, in all of our issues. And we were glad to hear that out of the the CARP 5, he was all on board for, for the top one, two, and three for funding better home care, transforming long-term care, and cutting health care wait, wait times. When it came to vaccines, he said he would look at it if he were elected. And on funding seniors' fitness, he was uh, he pointed to his home care plan, which included money for for caring for people in their own, own home through physical fitness activities. So he hedged a bit on that. Would 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 think about vaccines, but on the top three, he was he was reading our reading our. From our our song sheet, for
1: right? Sure. Uh, the David he certainly said all the right things. That was my that has been my impression of him. What we need to know is how much substance is there to what Stephen Del Duca is saying.
2: Well, one of the things that I had a very uh, uh, affable, I guess, conversation with the on is One of the things we're trying to do uh, with all the political parties and is to really stress that this is not only the big topic for us, but this is a topic we're not letting go of. And then what's going to really count is execution. And I urge our audience um, to join us in keeping an eye on this going forward, because it really isn't only a matter of policy. You know the old model was, let's get the right policy. This party's got a good policy. That party' policy isn't quite as good. This party's going to commit two billion. that party's only going to commit one billion. They all say the right things. They all nod their heads and agree with the issues who can execute, who can actually deliver uh, the day-to-day execution of the plan? Because if you read the wording, I was very struck by the fact that all three parties, for example, commit to hiring more health care workers, uh, going to bring in 10,000 more nurses, 20,000 more personal care workers. And I think the liberals merged doctors, nurses, and personal care workers into one category and came up with 100,000. Well, that's all. But nobody could be against that. Uh, I don't think you're going to change your vote because one party promised twenty thousand, another promised thirty thousand. Can they actually do it? What is their plan to actually implement all this? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so really important that CARP stays vocal and visible and strong in watching the performance going forward. And I think that's what we're really trying to let these guys know that we're 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 not letting go of this.
1: Let's get the phones ringing here today on Fight Back. Have you voted? Uh, Who are you voting for on election day? Which party did you vote for in advance polling and why? And are the CARP 5 resonating with you as well? Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll free one 866 740 4740 let us talk specifically about Andrea Horvath and the new democrats uh peter i've read with interest here your article on everythingzoomer.com and you actually divide down the promises for seniors by party what what is andrea saying in in terms of what she's committing to for the carp five
4: well she's big on um you know revamping long-term care so she would uh like, like uh, Del Duca, she would end the for-profit element of it and make it strictly um, public and non-profit delivered. So um, that's a big uh, delineation point from the Conservatives who want to keep the for-profit element in long-term care. Um, and, um, and of course, she, she would add 50,000 new long-term care beds, but um, that's sort of like... It, it, it's. I think that's a number that's been quoted as what we need. But again, to to get rid of the private care sector and then say we need 50,000 new beds, it just, um, she doesn't say how they're going to get to that number. So again, in David's sort of a new paradigm of looking at political promises, don't just look at the number, look at how they're going to get to that number. And she hasn't made a good case for explaining that. Um uh, other than that, hiring you know more personal support workers, it seems to be in keeping with what CARP would like to see in long term care, and what all the other provinces, what, what all the other um, parties are promising.
1: Anthony, what about you in terms of the doability of Andrea Horvath and the New Democrats' promises with regard to older voter issues?
3: The big thing is the the shortage of healthcare staff, and they are promising, as, as Peter pointed out, thousands and thousands, 30,000 nurses they're promising to hire, and 10,000 PSW. So really big numbers, but where do they come from? I know there are programs for international recognition of accreditation and similar programs, but right now, the... The the universities aren't pumping out that many nursing graduates. Uh, We have retiring doctors and nurses. So how how it happens? I don't see that in any of the platforms.
1: Well, well, there's no incentive, right? I mean, they don't even they get one percent increase in terms of their salary every year at the at the moment.
3: Right. Ontario has a a very comparable pay structure for nurses and and other healthcare workers. But the how are you going to remove Bill 124 to save? uh, to perhaps increase the the salary of nurses, but that that it opens up the entire budget to every public service mm-hmm. serv- service worker having going back to the. Unless, you take, unless you
1: take nurses out of the equation.
3: and they, But the Liberals and the NDP have said they'd remove it completely, right. not just for healthcare workers.
1: Right. But uh, Doug Ford, to my knowledge so far, has not said that he would take nurses or health care workers out of Bill 124. No, and
3: he's promised the $5,000 retention bonus for nurses in Ontario. Right.
1: OK, now let's go to Mike Schreiner and the Greens. Although, David, you may want to add a comment there about the New Democrats and the doability of their plan.
2: Well, only to say, to be fair, their their platform also included um, making it easier for foreign trained nurses to get credentialed more quickly. So at least that says to me, somebody's watching the details on how you're going to execute all this. And uh, I think that's an encouraging sign. I mean, whether they're saying it in an election platform, every single detail but I think uh, all of them are where all the parties are aware that there's a, a lot of uh, devil in the details that they're going to be expected to come up with.
1: And David, just to carry on there, Mike Schreiner and the Greens.
2: Well, I think that I, I've followed it. I mean, from the debate, uh, they they certainly echoed the other parties in their you know commitment to these topics. But again, um, so it's good. I would say that that it's good that we've gotten all the parties to endorse the CARB 5 as matters of principle or of of commitment. And um, so we're not here to to naysay that. We're here to say, bravo, now let's see you do it.
1: Again, you know, we want you to be part of this conversation. We are three days until voting day. Do the CARP 5 issues, do they resonate for you? Are they among the reasons why you voted for who you voted for or who you plan to vote for on Thursday? 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-744-740. Anthony, you had a conversation fairly recently with Mike Schreiner. And uh, what did you guys talk about? What did he commit to? And, and what about his plan to make
3: it happen? We had a great conversation. He was... He was- well-versed on the CARP-5, and I thought as I was digging through the Green Party of Ontario's platform that they actually presented, uh, on paper at least, the best plan for uh, meeting the the needs of the CARP-5. Out of the uh, the top five issues, I have four check marks in front of the the Green Party, and the funding fitness for seniors was something they hadn't considered, but he said that's a a very uh, uh, thoughtful uh, plan. And while he's including exercise facilities in green spaces as part of the Green Party platform, he thought that more could be done for older seniors fitness as well. So he, he spoke with us the day he was diagnosed or tested positive for COVID. And, and I, I think he's, he's paying very close attention to the CARP 5 and our voters.
1: Okay, good. And Peter, would you like to add to that? And then we'll get to the phones.
4: Yeah, well, well, the only problem with that is that they're not going to get elected, the Green Party. So, well, you know, they're they're kind of in a in the enviable position of promising everything and not worrying about how to deliver it. And uh, so, I, th- I think some of their promises need to be taken with a grain of salt. But um, they certainly just just sort of skimming through their They they certainly do, as Anthony says, hit most of the um, you know most of the Carp 5 bases and. Uh, and you know, looking forward, if 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 Green sort of um, you know gradually become a an alternative to NDP, um, that's going to be increasingly important. To how how well Carp works with uh, with that provincial party.
1: It's our Monday Zoomer squad here on Fightback. Jane for Libby, along with Peter Muggeridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. David Kravitz, CARP's Chief Membership Officer, VP here at Zoomer Media. And Anthony Quinn, CARP's Ontario Election Lead. And your phone calls on the election, 416-360-0740, 1866 740 Let's go to Simone in Parkdale. Hi, Simone. Hi there.
5: Yes, I'm a
1: conservative
5: and um, usually I would vote for Doug Ford, but he's turned so much towards the left. Uh, uh, and adopting leftist policies, uh, and uh, he's for big business, a lot of business. That's fine. We need business, but th- there are other things besides. And he's uh, he's passed. Uh, they they passed um gave second reading to a bill by members, uh, an NDP uh, a private members' bill sixty seven, which is on critical race theory and subconscious racism and all anything leftist and to the left. And kids are being called colonists in schools, uh, calling them to cry. It, it's just uh, you know there's uh, there's really the school system now the System is really okay, Simone, oh, you
1: know, I'm going to get Anthony Quinn to respond to you, but, Thank you me. know, who are you voting for if you're not voting for Doug? Simone? Oh, I think she's gone. Well, well that's,
3: that's what I was going to add. Yeah. That there may be some small splintering of the conservative traditional voter with the two new parties who are in the election this time. There's the new blue party and the Ontario party, both a little bit more to the right of Doug, Doug Ford's conservative uh, point of view. So th- there may be voters like Simone who looking for a Conservative position, don't see what they're looking for in in Doug and and are moving a bit more right with those two parties.
1: So, Anthony, do you see these parties as um, the provincial, the Ontario equivalent of the PPC, the People's Party of
3: Canada? I think they're very similar in their points of view. And we have Derek Sloan, who is leading the Ontario Party, who comes from federal politics and recently uh, dismissed from the, the Federal Conservative Party. And Uh, Jim Carajalos, who is the leader of the New Blue Party, and his wife was a former member of Doug Ford's uh, team and was removed from the party as well. Right, right.
1: Okay, let's go over to David for just a sec. Uh with Doug Ford and the P- PCs, um the, he's trying to become the premier again for another 4 years. But David, he hasn't said much. Doug Ford hasn't said much about uh issues around the Carp 5, but there is some commitment on issues important to older voters.
2: He's been he's been very um bland and vague and uh... Agreeing generally with, uh, you know, with things um, because I think he he wants an election done on the basis of overall managerial competence, um, you know, to get it done. Um, and then you can plug in whatever you, word you want into the word it. So if your priority is X, he's going to get it done. If your priority is Y, he's going to get it done. He isn't contradicting anything in the CARP 5. Um, he did show during COVID, uh, he had to, any premier would have, um, intense engagement with healthcare, uh, for better or worse. So he did, you know, he make, he made moves. He moved people around. He replaced people. So he was fully engaged, uh, with the topic. Certainly he wasn't indifferent to it. Um, and I think that he's well aware because we've also met with him and talked to him um, in the past. And he, he attended our um, you know, our meeting and uh, he, he's spoken uh, with us. And I think he's very aware of our position and engaged in it. We'll see how they do.
1: Peter, we've talked about this in recent weeks as well, but here we are three days out. How is it that Doug Ford has not been put in a position where he has to be defensive about uh all of the, you know the horrific things that happened in long-term care the 4400 deaths on his watch uh during the first part of the pandemic
4: yeah uh the the other parties have tried that with their with their advertising and um you know uh it hasn't stuck i i, I think it, it may speak about the um you know uh the apathy that's out there towards this election like people just uh, you know, I think Ford had such a big lead at the beginning. Um, the two, despite hammering him on healthcare, couldn't make any dent. And so, I think voters have become apathetic and and sort of okay, it's a it's a runaway for Ford. Uh, so, what's this election all about? Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, is it enough to decide whether, um, you know, Del Duca or Harworth become the opposition leader? Is that enough to get people interested? It doesn't seem so. And uh, I, I just feel this whole election it, as David said, it's just been skirting the issues and talking about highways and laying low and just not saying anything, not putting his foot in his mouth at all, which is unusual for Ford.
1: And, and primarily and, and and primarily going to rallies, right? I mean, he's going to rallies and he has photo ops, but he's not doing the traditional you know, announcements, uh, news he conferences. He's not the
4: podium, you know, and, and speaking as a sort of a right-wing firebrand or whatever. And he's, he's <laughs> just like, well, and, and all this plays perfectly and, like, just these issues, he doesn't want to talk about this health care, the, the healthcare under and the pandemic, the, the seniors who died under the pandemic. But because he's, he's it's a retail not a winning politician. Topic. So David, you... go
2: ahead. David, go I'm ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry. And he's a retail politician. Yeah. He's a guy that belongs live in a crowd. He's not an idea man. He's not a, a, a philosopher <laughs> type of, you know, where he's going to come up with some theories. He's a retail politician. The other thing I just want to say real quick um Healthcare is a big, fat, complex topic, and it's not like it was a well-oiled machine before he took over. Um, Karp has made a point of saying that successive regimes, and I think he's been very effective, as has Horvath, in saying, you know, Del Duca was part of a 15-year liberal regime under um, uh, first McGinty and then when. What did you What did you guys do? You had 15 years, and you left this mess for. Doug Ford, and we can criticize how he handled that mess, maybe if you're one of his opponents, but it's not like they took this smoothly humming, wonderful healthcare system and suddenly messed it up overnight. It's been a long time coming, and so he doesn't entirely have to wear that.
1: Right, and maybe that's one of the reasons, Anthony, why neither Del Duca nor Horvath have been able to make a dent in Ford's uh, sizable lead.
3: And if you look at the... Party platform of the Ontario PCs. There's nothing there. You have to go back to the budget and dig through it. And there are some things that we're interested in. There's a billion dollars over three years for home care. There is a uh, reducing income taxes on people who are making less than fifty thousand a year. There's uh, new tax credits for living in home and improving your home. So there are some issues that they have tackled in the budget but everything else is get it done. And their voter will decide whether they believe Doug is the one who will get it done or or the new opposition parties.
1: Just a few more minutes to go with our Zoomer squad. Let's go back to the phones. Mary and Lindsay. Mary, what would you like to add?
6: I can't believe how people are forgetting what Doug Ford did and, and didn't do during the pandemic. And also this bill 124, they're forgetting, like it's only 1%. They're forgetting that when he took over in 2018, he uh, voted himself and his cabinet a 33 percent raise, and uh, an
4: MP confirmed that.
1: And so that does not uh, sit well with you. No. And, and have you voted, Mary? Yes. And uh, would you mind telling us who you voted for? The Liberal. I don't usually vote Liberal, but I did this year. And what is it about either Stephen Del Duca or the Liberal platform that um, put you in a position? It sounds like
6: it's honest and true. Not like Doug Ford. He lies all the time.
1: And and, uh, just one more question before I let you go. You know, Doug Ford would say and Andrew Horvath would say, well, yes, but Stephen Del Duca had all those years as a cabinet minister with the Liberals to make change. And now he's promising to make change. How can you believe him? I will not believe Doug Ford. Never will. Never will. Will. All right. Fair enough. Thank you for your call, Mary. So before we wrap up, I guess I'll, you know I'll go around the table, and ba- this is this is the last opportunity to talk about the Carp Five as a group uh, before uh, Ontarians go to the polls on Thursday. Based on the Carp Five, David, who should Zoomers be voting for come Thursday?
2: Well, I, I don't want to pick a party. I think we have to be neutral. Um, but I think that my message to the audience is the CARB-5 is just starting. It's not ending. The election isn't the end. Well, we we, we picked Ford, we picked El Duca, and now did the CARB-5 work or didn't it or didn't make it or didn't it? We're just starting. This is a topic that we are going to be pounding and pounding and pounding. We're going to be looking for concrete results, so whoever you vote for, I think you should base it on who do I think can actually accomplish this rather than who's just saying the right thing.
1: CARP uh, is a nonpartisan Zoomers advocacy. You're absolutely right. And we, we, we uh, I say we because we're all here at the Zoomerplex, but the issues uh, have to be in line uh, with what's important for older voters. Uh, right. Peter, what do you think?
4: Yeah, so... Um, I- As if they like the 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 proof will come out later. But um, look at the party platforms. um, You know, see see what uh, you know, see what they're offering seniors, and then that can be sort of like um, breadcrumbs. When they get elect, when the party gets elected, you can trace it back to what they said during the election, hold them to that, and then uh, make them deliver, or get a whole new crowd into. uh, Replace them.
1: Now, Anthony Quinn is sitting right in front of, of me with a checklist. You've got all the different parties in front of you and check marks uh, beside the various issues. So, based on the card th- that you have here from carp.ca,
3: who should Zoomers be voting for? Well, we've got check marks and question marks. Uh, unfortunately, the platform of the PCs leaves us with a lot of question marks. But if I was looking down this as a scorecard, I would say that. The three opposition parties are all pretty much in line and there's questions from the PCs. But I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, the polls being a little little wrong. I get a kick out of it when the pollsters are wrong and the electorate uh, does something a little different. And I'm hoping that everyone will get out and vote uh, on these issues and we'll see an exciting Thursday evening. That's what I'm looking forward
1: to. Oh, absolutely. And Libby will be here live along with Marissa Lennox starting at 8 o'clock for a special Zoomer Radio election show that is on Thursday night at 8. And you can bet the conversations between Libby and Marissa will be engaging. Gentlemen, thank you all for your time. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Anthony Quinn is filling in for Bill Van Gorder. He is CARP's Ontario election lead. Peter Muggridge is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. And David Kravitz is CARP's chief membership officer and vice president here at Zoomer Media. Jane, for Libby who returns tomorrow, and you can keep calling in on the on the election theme. Here, the numbers again: four one six. 360-0740. 3600740, toll free 1 866 740 4740. We stay on the election theme to talk specifically about the rising cost of food and what the various party leaders are offering to try and bring down some of these costs. That's coming up next.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Oh, no. White bag with Libby Nimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns tomorrow. The Greens, the Liberals
1: and the New Democrats have all expressed a desire to address the issue of rising food costs. According to Statistics Canada, food costs went up nearly 9% compared to last year. And Canadians paid close to 10% more for food during the month of April, which is the largest increase since 1981. So what food categories have been most impacted by rising prices, and how does each party's respective plan in the current election measure up in tackling this problem? Joining us to discuss this important election issue, Dr. Stuart Smythe, Agri-Food Innovation and Sustainability Enhancement Chair at the University of Saskatchewan, and Laura Campbell, Ontario Green Party candidate for Dufferin-Caladin. Welcome to you both. Good day.
6: Hi, thanks for having me on.
1: Uh, We'll start with Dr. Smythe uh, and all the factors that have caused food prices to go up so much and so quickly.
5: It it seems that everything that could possibly affect Food prices has had a, a detrimental effect this year in that, you know, fuel prices have gone up, um, the uncertainty from Russia's invasion in the Ukraine, some production challenges last winter, transportation issues last winter, um, it, inflation, everything is, is just come together in the perfect storm to in- contribute to driving up food prices for, you know, significantly in the last right. three to four months.
1: Well, how much impact, um, and obviously I want you to be honest here, can the various parties in the Ontario election have in bringing down these prices if they form government?
5: In my view, very little. Mm. Um, These are market forces that are beyond the control of of any one party or any one government um, in Canada or even federally. So I think it's great that that they're making these uh, pledges to, to voters prior to the election, but the reality is the the ability to actually impact anything significantly is is going to be pretty pretty minor
1: okay, well, let me go over to Laura then and a look at what the Green Party is offering to at least help curb the the rising cost of food
6: that's right, yeah, there are a lot of complicated like complex global reasons as to why food is so expensive, one of them of course being the cost of Fuel, et cetera. That's why um, Ontario Greens believe that we you know the two major threats and barriers to food security, in particular for for low income people, um, they're related. Obviously, the cost and access to food is huge. So we need to make sure we have an immediate response to this crisis. So Greens and and other experts continue to call for a basic income guarantee to support uh, the income of seniors uh, living on pensions that are just not enough to cover the basics um, in, and in addition to that uh, we've called for a doubling of the Ontario disability support program um, which would also help to address this crisis for folks who who uh, can't um, for no through no fault of their own uh, work and, and help them uh, to be able to afford food um, so that that is we need to um you know have an immediate response to this so that's what that is something uh in fact that we can do to at least help with the cost of food Mm -hmm. while we work on what ontario greens uh call our local food and farming strategy because exactly as um professor said there is there are larger systemic and structural issues that are are a problem here and um you know, we need to make sure we're protecting local farmland and and getting our food from from close to where we live. So we need to support local farmers. We need to permanently protect prime farm, farmland as we're losing 175 acres of farmland per day in Ontario to sprawl. Um, and we need to make sure we have a grocery code of conduct to clamp down on predatory pricing by powerful grocery chains. There are uh, there's so much more I can say about this, but. I don't know if, um, if Professor Smyth wants to come in on this. Well,
1: exactly, Doctor Smyth. Uh, what, what do you think about what you're hearing from Laura and uh, the Green Party, the Ontario Green Party?
5: Yeah, the one way that government can actually contribute to helping low-income and um, individuals out is is through wealth redistribution. That, that's mm-hmm. certainly within the, the domain of, of government. But when it, you know. I've not seen any evidence around, you know, the, the, the comment about predatory pricing in the, in the retail space. Um, consumers are pretty conscientious and, and I think probably more so than ever are following um, competitive pricing within grocery store chains. So if one chain is um, too high on, on a, a food area or food products, then they, they risk losing those consumers um to, to other chains and and I think one of the the good questions that would be important for politicians to you know from all parties is is to really examine some of the fundamentals of parts of Canadian agriculture such as should we still have supply management in dairy products when this is artificially pushing up the price due to the the way production is restricted with dairy quotas so I think that's a good political discussion that that should be on campaign trail.
1: Okay, right help now. us help us understand that in layman's terms. Sure. So, so the way
5: um, something that's under supply management works is every farmer that has a dairy has quota allocated from a from the provincial organization, and so it's not possible to produce above the quota because then it it keeps prices high and, and lowers supply. So if you got rid of the, the quota and the, the supply management system, every dairy producer in the province would be allowed to produce as much milk as they can sell for, for local usages. And, and this then helps keep prices down for, for us as consumers.
1: Uh, Laura, I'll go back over to you now. And if you're just joining us, Laura Campbell is the Ontario Green Party candidate for Dufferin Caledon. You reviewed uh, how the Green Party would at least assist in curbing food prices or at least trying to set up an environment where that could happen. Uh, What about uh, your competitors' plans? The Liberals under Stephen Del Duca are suggesting that they will. They would follow through on cutting the 8% sales tax on all prepared foods under under twenty dollars the new Democrats want to implement a food strategy that would support greater access to local produced foods by mm-hmm. Ontario mm-hmm. farmers. Your thoughts on those promises?
6: Yeah I think um, I mean these are all um, you know ideas that through good legislation when you work across party lines we can we can put into action in Ontario. And um, definitely the piece around supporting local farmers, this has been a key um, message from Ontario Greens for as long as I can remember. Um, what we need to do is make sure that we're protecting farmland around our, our urban centers so that when we stock um, our grocery stores, so that food is coming from uh, local sustainable farmers. And, you know, that's like when our food is coming from other parts of the world, you know, that obviously when our gas prices are as high, they're going to increase uh, the price. And whether or not we have competition between grocery stores that theoretically would keep prices down, um, you know, people, consumers aren't seeing that. We are getting apples from South Africa as opposed to from, you know, from Ontario where we do have a lot of good apples. Um, We need to make sure that we're protecting farmland. So rather than just saying like we have a strategy, we actually need to put... The, these these uh, these ideas into place. So, for instance, when we have Class One and Class Two farmland, high-quality soil that is classified as White Belt that can easily be easily be zoned uh, for development for suburbs and sprawl. What we need to do is make that part of the Green Belt and permanently protect this prime farmland, which you know, greens have been talking about for a long time. But freezing urban boundaries, making sure that we have food security, not just, you know, around the cost of food in the immediate term and income supports, but also for the long term, you know, for the next 20, 50, 100 years. Because if we continue to develop and to sprawl the way that we have and the way that all other parties have allowed us to do, we're going to be in very big trouble because we're going to get rid, we're not going to have the land that we need uh, to feed us. So, you know, financial security for farmers, in particular sustainable farmers, we need to be investing in all of that so that they can you know, stay in the industry that that we so vitally need.
1: Thank you for that explanation. Uh, very clear and concise. Uh, back to the phones now. We'd like to hear from you, uh, how you're managing with these increasing food prices and what you're hearing from the various parties that might point you in the direction of how you're going to vote on Thursday. 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Rosie in Guelph, Mike Schreiner's riding. How are you?
6: Oh, hi there, Jane and guess. I actually have a comment. My first comment is they say it's 9% increase, mm-hmm. but it seems to me it's quite a bit more than that for quite a bit longer than that. For instance, I buy this honey, and it was 10 98 Now it's twelve ninety eight, 98 and that's like a permanent change, and there's many more illustrations like that.
1: No, that and that's but a very good question. question. Is, yeah, Rosie, I'm guess, good. Let me put that to um, our doctor, Dr. Stuart Smythe, who's joined us, who's a food innovation and sustainability expert. Dr. Smythe, what about that? How, how does Stats Canada figure out what that average increase is in all food?
5: <laughs> That's a good question. So what Stats Canada does is they take a, a sample grocery basket, of items, and then they they check the price in um, various cities across the country. And at the end of each month, they're able to calculate what that basket of groceries would cost, and that's how they come up with the estimates as to to how food prices are increasing. Right, and, and the caller is exactly right that that some products have gone up significantly in price, and others have have stayed the same, and and there have been a few products that have actually dropped in price this year. So, but overall, things are up across the board. Right.
1: So if you look at your grocery bill uh, for this week versus the same week last year, you would see that 10% increase.
5: That's correct. Yes.
1: All right. Let's go back to the phones. Actually, Zeev's just finishing up here before putting uh, this individual on hold. Um, I guess in terms of affordability, with the gas prices, um, with the food prices increasing. Uh, in terms of what the progressive conservatives, uh, one of the, the main focuses, Laura, in in their campaign, in their platform, is Mm -hmm. to build highways. And 413 Mm -hmm. is uh, being opposed not just by Green Party leader Mike Schreiner, but also Mm -hmm. by Stephen Del Duca and Andrea Horvath. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. detrimental, and explain why, is this highway to um, our resources in this province?
6: Yeah, so... Um, the four thirteen is set to pave over two thousand acres of class one and two prime farmland in South Caledon. So that um, there's a big section of that highway that runs right through the southern part of our riding. And um, when you have these types of large highways in such close proximity to um, large scale farms, and it is pretty much uh, you know large cash crop operations down there, um, it uh, it it does impact the capacity of the farmers to continue farming land even in proximity to a highway like that because it, it creates sprawl in the sense that this highway is being built to accommodate e-commerce. So there is uh, there was a ministerial zoning order approved for a 4 million square foot Amazon warehouse just north of where this highway is set to run. So you can see that it, it's a, it, there is a whole infrastructure plan here it isn't just, you know, the four to six lanes that are going to be chewing up all of this land, but also more sprawl, um, more industry that just cuts away at farmland. And then the second piece of that is that to construct this new highway and then all of the additional infrastructure that goes along with it, we're going to need so much more aggregate, again, Aggregate, um, and, and gravel that comes primarily from Dufferin Caledon. And, um, we know that aggregate has a very, uh, problematic impact on prime farmland as well. Uh, once you, you mine for gravel the way that, that's being done here, uh, that, that soil is gone forever. There is, there is little to no evidence that, uh, any rehabilitation will result in the same quality of soil and, and farming productivity as that land had before. And so, you know, Ontario Greens has been very vocal about supporting the Reform Gravel Mining Coalition's moratorium on uh, new pit and aggregate licensing um, until we have a full uh, review and audit of what how much aggregate we have and also how much aggregate we need. And so the less we're building these new highways through Prime Farmland, um, the, the safer our, our farmland will be uh, for the long for the long run. All right. And so, yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we will have to leave it there. Interesting discussion, but we are running short on time. But I really appreciate your viewpoint, uh, both Laura Campbell and Dr. Stuart Smythe.
6: Thank you so My much. My pleasure. Thank Thanks for you. the invitation. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Smith. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, Laura Campbell is the Ontario Green Party candidate for dufferin Caledon, And Dr. Stuart Smythe is with Agri-Food Innovation and Sustainability Enhancement at the University of Saskatchewan. Jane for Libby. And we change topics now. Our final segment today, what's being done to help the Ukrainian refugees arriving in Canada every day and how you can help. That's next.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is back tomorrow. Vladimir
1: Putin's war in Ukraine is into a fourth month, while more Ukrainian citizens make the life-changing decision to move to faraway countries like Canada to start a new life. 306 of these individuals arrived on the second of a federally chartered flight in Montreal yesterday. But there are others who are making their way here on other flights, some with no place to go when they arrive. So what is being done to accommodate them to help out these individuals? Joining us is Peter Storin, president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Toronto branch. Peter, always nice to chat with you.
7: It was a pleasure, Jane.
1: Help us understand how many people are coming daily.
7: Very hard to uh, to, to know for sure, uh, but we definitely know that there, are uh, on, uh, especially from flights from Poland, uh, they come in daily. Uh, you, you know, you're roughly, you're looking at probably around 100 people per day just on that one flight. Uh, they're coming from other countries as well, from Germany, from Hungary. Um, but unfortunately, we don't get that those statistics uh, from the government. They don't really tell us, uh, although they would know how many visas are being issued. But uh, the numbers seem to be getting uh, greater now as uh, people settle into situations and and are making the move uh, to Canada.
1: I'm wondering. Not- I'm wondering or- if it's a bit misleading. You know, these three federally chartered flights. It almost makes it seem as if these are the only Ukrainian refugees arriving.
7: No, no, there's way more than that. I mean, uh, there's over uh, well over uh, um, 70,000 visas that have already been issued. We know there's over 200,000 applications. Now, not everyone's going to come. Uh, some people are just going to try to get their visas just in case. But we we know that in Ontario alone, the last number we heard, there was already over 10,000 uh, Ukrainians that har- arrived. So the numbers are quite fast. We know it. We see it. uh, We're kind of reaching capacity because to a large extent, most of the people that came in the the first month or two, they came to friends and family. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now we're starting to see people coming without any direct friends and family, maybe have some financial ability to rent a place for a very short period of time. But as you can appreciate, most of these people are not very wealthy and they're going to run into situations where if in a week or two they don't have somewhere to stay more medium term, um, they're going to be left out on the street. And we're finding those situations uh, almost every day now. And we're doing our very best to address it as much as we can without very much assistance from the federal government, unfortunately.
1: Well, right. I mean, and that, that's the next question. How exactly are you doing this with these people arriving who maybe are able to uh, stay in a motel for a week or two and that's it?
7: It's really just through the goodwill of people, uh, and uh, many Ukrainians, of course, but, uh, all kinds of people are reaching out and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Estonians, Polish people, back, backgrounds, um, Canadians of all walks of life are actually offering, uh, places. And we're working with that. We're working with one, uh, agency called Kosti that's helping us vet these places because you you can appreciate we have to do criminal background Mm checks if we don't know the people. But to a large extent, we're also working with our churches. People in our church community are coming out and say, look, I've got a basement uh, apartment and there's room for a couple of people. Uh, They're welcome to stay. So we're doing our very best to address that. We're also working with the federal government because they did promise that they would offer up to three weeks lodging um, with arrivals that have no, no place to stay. Unfortunately, the bureaucracy, they announced it a month ago, but we still have yet to have that being offered um, to to the arrivals uh, right now.
1: So for those individuals listening who say, you know, yes, I, I could house somebody for a week or two or um, maybe even just overnight, uh, how can you, what is the process for connecting those people with the refugees? Well,
7: we're doing uh, our our best now at the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. So we're just basically telling people they could either write an email to info at ucctoronto.ca or they could just call our office at Um, 416-323-4772. Working with the agencies takes some time, but we're sometimes able to do things a little bit quicker uh, if uh, we can... You know, find out um, the situation or what kind of housing that's actually being offered. The ideal situation is if somebody has a separate unit, then we don't have to worry about vetting and everything else.
1: And um, and is but, this just through the goodwill of people? Is there some remuneration or tax credits through the government? I mean, how? What about all of the formality of the process?
7: No, there isn't financially. Unfortunately, there isn't. We know some European countries have offered financial. Uh, support to people taking in families. Unfortunately, uh, Canada and the province have not announced anything like that. Uh, so in terms of housing, it, again, we're just still waiting for the federal government to come through with that three-week stay. And, uh, and as well, last week they announced that there would be a one-time financial contribution to somebody coming, particularly mothers with children that are most likely not able to work anytime soon. Um, they will be giving them a one-time grant of $3,000 to sort of get them started. And again, we haven't seen it rolled out yet. It was an announcement made last week, but we think it's a huge step in the right direction.
1: Peter, what about provincial money? Uh, Before the election was officially called, uh, Premier Doug Ford came out and talked about a a substantial amount of money for Ukrainian refugees coming to Ontario. Where is That's probably on hold, right, until the election is over?
7: Well, the good part of it is most of that, uh, it, it was an announcement of over $300 million. There was $900,000 that was given to Ukrainian, uh, Canadian immigrant aid, which is overwhelmed, as you can imagine right now. Uh, so they were able to hire additional staff. Uh, but most of those funds are designated for healthcare. So not knowing how much, uh, how many people are actually going to end up in Ontario, uh, but as soon as they come in, they can apply with their visa. They can apply for OHIP coverage, which is phenomenal. That was the one thing, mm-hmm. the biggest thing in terms of financial impact, someone coming in and not being able to afford to go to a hospital if something happens. Um, that was the major part of the announcement that the, the, the province did. So we're very grateful for that. The next step, of course, is going to be housing. You know, it's—it's it's, that's why you're hearing of flights going to Winnipeg and to Montreal is, we're doing our best in some cases to redirect some of these larger groups to not come to Toronto or Vancouver, where housing and real estate, um, you know, can be double or triple of what it is in other markets.
1: Yeah, so, sure. Of um, course,
7: that's one of the things we're trying to work with the federal government to say, sure, there, there may be some availability here, but you just got to realize what rent starts at in Toronto, probably at twenty five hundred dollars a month, and most. Most families coming and just simply can't afford that.
1: Uh, Peter, also there is now a website for Ukrainian refugees with resettlement information about Canada. Uh, how are they finding out about that, and what does this website offer?
7: Well, this website is uh, it's, its a living document we keep uh, updating. It's Topomoha, uh, which is Ukrainian word for help, D O P O M O H A dot C-A, and there you have basically all the resources that have been announced. Federal, provincial government, um, how to apply for OHIP, how to apply, uh, for, through Service to Ontario to get a, a social insurance number. So we're doing our very best to make it a kind of one stop shopping place for people looking for assistance when they arrive. So it's in both languages. It's in Ukraine. There's Ukrainian version, and an English version, and uh, we're getting, obviously, positive feedback from that. And as they say, we keep updating as new things are being announced.
1: Okay, and that is dopomoha.ca. It is written as it sounds. Uh, thank you so much for the update. I want to give out that information again. Should you have a place for Ukrainian refugees to stay, the email address is info at ucctoronto.ca, or you can call 416 323 four seven seven two. Peter, nice to chat with you and good luck. I'm sure it is overwhelming.
7: We'll get there. You'll whatever. get there. Lots yeah. of goodwill. Lots of goodwill in the community. So.
1: Okay, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.
7: Thank you very much, Jane.
1: Peter Storn is the president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Toronto Branch. Jane for Libby, she is back tomorrow when it will be just two days until the provincial election. And great timing with our Recovering Politicians panel. That is tomorrow after the noon news. More of the greatest hits coming up uh, with the number ones at one. But first, Jeremy Logan and the news.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.